Hi, Kelsey. <laughs> Hello. Today, we're talking about basketball. This is a story about the drama of making and breaking records. We've got lots of basketball records. We even have some personal sexual records. Oh, uh-huh. I can see that. <laughs> For sure. And we maybe have a record about the number of autobiographies <laughs> that each of our rivals writes about themselves. Uh-huh. One of them wrote three autobiographies, and the other wrote two and kind of a half, which we'll get to <laughs> later. It's, it's a lot. A lot of talking about oneself. Does their storyline change? It's the same throughout. <laughs> they just keep writing it. It's wild to me. What's your uh, first autobiography going to be called? If I wrote something, I would want it to be like obviously like pseudonyms that are super, super exact to the real names. Mm -hmm. Like Jacqueline Feet instead of Jackie Beat. <laughs> Perfect. And everybody in L.A. would be like, come on. <laughs> Why don't you just say the names? <laughs> well, I didn't really spill all the tea. Yeah. You could be called a smelt-a-jerk. Yes, I love that. From Sony Music Entertainment, this is Fierce Rivalries with me, Delta Work. And with me, Kelsey Padgett. Each week, I tell Delta the true story behind an infamous or an underrated rivalry with all the dramatic and sometimes petty twists and turns. And then I'll declare the winner, but not every story has a victor. Sometimes it's just about who loses more. Okay, so this rivalry happens between two NBA superstars in the 60s and 70s, which is hard for me to picture because when I think about the NBA, I think about the 90s, right? That's when uh -huh. like the NBA like lives large in my head with like Michael Jordan and Dennis right. Rodman. But this is not about those guys. This is back in like, you know, high cut basketball shorts <laughs> above the knee, the high knee socks. That's kind of what I remember as a kid, that, that look. Yeah. Okay, so who are these rivals? These rivals are Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Wilt Chamberlain. So these two basketball players, they are about 10 years apart in age and also in their careers. They started out as friends, sort of like big brother, little brother dynamic, mm -hmm. but they end up as bitter enemies. So let's let's get into it. May I ask you a personal question? How tall are you? I am 5'9", mm -hmm. but I think my driver's license says that I'm 5'10". Oh, nice. Okay, how about uh -huh. in heels? Are you... Much taller. Um, I don't normally push heels any higher than four inches, oh. which is a sin to a lot of drag queens. They're <laughs> like, oh, that's nothing. So I look for every opportunity to wear flats. I'm like, oh, let's make, let's do a funny number. Oh my gosh, this funny number calls for flats. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, I wasn't trying to. I'm, I don't know. Yeah. So these two guys are insanely tall. Wilt, he was born in 1936. He ends up being seven foot, one inch tall. Wow. And Kareem, born 10 years later in 1947, ends up being seven feet, two inches tall. That's so much higher than I can really imagine. I don't think yeah. I've ever like, hung out with somebody that tall, like <laughs> really uh -huh. understood like what their life is like. I looked it up and door frames are generally about six foot, eight inches. Oh, so they're, they're definitely ducking to come through. That's right. Ducking through like every entrance in a house. Imagine trying to sit in like a desk at school, you know, because mm -hmm. they were already very tall by the time they were in school. Right. So Kareem and Wilt, they're not fitting anywhere. They're too tall. And it's too tall. You know, and, but this is a thing that, like, unlike weight and, you know, other physical differences, people feel totally comfortable commenting on it 
all the time, right? Uh-huh. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, you're so tall. Like, wow, how's the weather up there? Every room they ever enter, every grocery store they've ever been in, every time they see a person that they have not already met, the comments are going to be, oh my gosh, that guy's so tall. Even walking down the street, like, he's so tall, look at that guy. And right. that can really affect you and your personality. Like, <laughs> I can't imagine being commented on all the time, you know? Right. So Kareem really becomes sort of a shy and quiet guy, which is sometimes uh, interpreted as detached and grumpy. Some people see him as sort of a, a jerk because he's quiet. Wilt, on the other hand, becomes the life of the party, very outgoing. But if things weren't going his way, he would be like overtly mean to people. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, I wanted to take that detour to talk about height a little bit to sort of set the stage of these two guys and how alike their lives are and how dissimilar that is also, mm-hmm. you know, the two ways of dealing with their height. But isn't that kind of a thing? Like, I mean, just because someone's tall, do you think it would be like a sin to not play basketball? Like, were they, oh, I wonder if this person was just shaped into like, you don't get to play soccer, even though you want to. Mm. You don't get to be a painter, even though you want to. You have to, you owe the world mm-hmm. to be a basketball player and be great at it because you have the advantage because you're tall. Like, I wonder if that is a thing. That is one of those comments that tall people get, right? If they're tall the third thing people say after how's the weather up there is Uh oh you must be great at basketball maybe you're terrible at basketball Right. right maybe you hate basketball but it's just one of those things so okay let's talk about wilt so wilt is born wilton norman chamberlain in philadelphia in 1936 by age 10 which is fifth grade he was already six feet tall wow He started playing basketball seventh grade, and by high school, he'd reach six feet, 11 inches. So in high school, he starts getting covered by reporters because he's this great um, high school basketball player. And they start calling him Wilt the Stilt in all of the uh, newspapers. And he hates this. And Wilt says that it made him think of a big crane standing in a pond of water or some freak in a sideshow. And, you know, he just really hated this. He really hated being known for his height in a way that sort of he felt like dehumanized him. Yeah. I mean, I think there's something notably significant about you that doesn't look like everyone else. Mm -hmm. I think people just assume that you should be jolly about it. Right. I know a girl uh, that I work with that is very, very thin, Mm -hmm. very healthy, Mm -hmm. very healthy, young, Mm -hmm. but extremely, extremely thin. And everyone's like, this one needs to eat a cheeseburger. This one needs to do that. And I'm like, you know, what you're doing to that person is the same thing that you're doing when you fat shame someone. You're singling them out and making them feel embarrassed, like they need to apologize for something. But at the same time, you're like, oh, come on. I'm just joking with Mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. But I don't want you to joke with me. No. Yeah, just don't. I don't want that. Don't comment on other people's bodies. How about it, everybody? don't. (laughs) You know, on top of being very tall, he's very good at basketball, right? Mm -hmm. All of high school, he's doing really well. For college, he gets scouted by over 200 colleges. They want him, which is wild. Wow. He ends up going to the University of Kansas. At 19 years old, Wilt is seven foot one inch, which is his final height. So tall. And he just dominates uh, at basketball. But this thing about him is like he is such a great individual player, but he doesn't really 
work with the team that well. Um, mm-hmm. It's not that he like works against the team or anything like that, but he could, you know, like have all these amazing statistics about him and how well he's scoring, how well he's doing, but his team would still end up losing sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, for example, in 1957, his college team is at the NCAA finals and they lose, but Wilt still gets named the most outstanding player of the tournament. So he gets MVP wow. even though his team lost, which is like very odd. All right, so college, he's doing very well, but he can't deliver team wins. He's eagerly picked up for the NBA after his college career. He's the first pick, and he got signed to the Philadelphia Warriors, was the name of the Philadelphia team at the time, and he became the highest paid player in the NBA at that point in 1959. How much do you think Wilt was getting paid in 1959 as the highest paid player in the NBA? I mean, I don't know. I would think it would have been just as just as expensive mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. players must have got paid a ton. No, it turns out that it was no. not a ton. I mean, it was high for the NBA, right? He's getting paid the highest, but he only gets paid $30,000 for his rookie contract, which is the highest at the time. So that's 1959 money. What would that be today? That would be 310000 a year, which is... I still don't think that's a lot of money for a basketball player. I thought they made more than that. Exactly. So Steph Curry this season is getting paid $48 million. Oof, which is just Jesus. huge. So, you know, things have really changed since 1959 when Wilt started. We need to get into basketball. <laughs> yes, we do. We could do it. Come on. We could do it. We could invent new ways, you know. Yeah. We don't need height. Come on. We'll just run around and bite ankles. Yes. <laughs> Stop people from getting <laughs> making a basket. There's not a rule against it, is there? Right. That's how um, Airbud got in the game. <laughs> Yeah. The dog from the <laughs> 90s. Okay. So Wilt's playing incredibly. His first game in the NBA, he scores himself, mm-hmm. not the whole team, just himself, 43 points. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which is wild. Wow. That's a lot of points for one person. <laughs> yeah. So he is so good that the NBA has to change several rules so that other players have a chance against him. Okay. So they change the rules around free throws. Because Wilt is so incredible and so athletic that from the line where the free throw is, he Mm -hmm. can jump and dunk the ball. Like his body can project itself that far. Jesus. I think he gets a bit of a running start. But yes, he can fly basically (laughs) that amount by doing like a long jump. Incredible. I I can't can't even fathom that. (laughs) Yeah, he's like a he's like a superhero or something, you know? Yeah. Just incredible. So the NBA is like, no, no dunking on free throws. That's the one of the rules they changed so that okay. other people have a better chance of beating him because he is just so outstandingly athletic and so much better than everybody else. Wilt keeps it up. He's named Rookie of the Year his first year, most valuable player. But his team, again, you know, in college, his team didn't win the championship, but he got MVP. That also happens in the NBA. His team doesn't win the championship, but he's named most valuable player. (laughs) That's wild that that happens. Yeah. Okay, so let me tell you one last thing about Wilt's awesomeness before we get to Kareem and the, the rivalry that they have. 
One night in 1962, Wilt creates a record so incredible that it still stands today. Wilt's team is playing against the Knicks, and they're playing in Hershey, Pennsylvania, which is where Hershey chocolate comes from. Mm -hmm. So in all the tellings of this story, they're like, everything smelled like chocolate. And Wilt claims that he was hungover and that he had not gotten any sleep, that he had been entertaining a lady the previous evening. Oh, okay. So he shows up to this game, not in his best way. Everything smells like chocolate, and he's like, okay, let's play this game. And it's just an average game. <laughs> he's just playing along. By the end of the first half, he's scored 41 points. So what do you think? How many points do you think he can get up to by the end of the game? He's already halfway through I, the game. I feel like he's going to double the points. Oh, yeah. Oh, I yeah. feel like he is. They get out there. By the third quarter, he's got 69 points. Wow. Eight minutes left in the game. Wilt is at 80 points. He's surpassed his personal best. And the crowd starts yelling, 100, 100. And Wilt says to himself, man, these people are tough. I'm tired. I've got 80 points. No one has ever scored 80 points. Leave me alone. Right. So they got two minutes left in the game. Wilt's gotten all the way up to 94 points. And he's like, oh, my God, we can make this. We can make this. <laughs> With 46 seconds left. Wilt does this incredible slam dunk, and he hits that 100-point mark. Wow. Ooh, and the fans rush the floor. You know, very sports movie finale <laughs> type. Aside from this game, like, does he just in general score all the points for his team, like, all the time? And does it just get to the point where people are like, we don't really have to play. We can just <laughs> let him do it, and we'll be on a winning team. You know, I think that early in his career, yes. But then as things went on, at least this is what he says, is that he tried to rein that in because he wanted to be more of a team player because he saw that he wasn't winning championships and he wanted to be winning mm -hmm. championships. So he became, you know, more team oriented instead of just everybody relying on him to get the goals, you know. But I mean, I guess because I'm so ignorant about it, how are they not winning the championships if their team won if their team's winning the games and they're winning all the points. Well, that's that's the thing. So they would win all the games up to like the the finals. And the way that finals mm. work in basketball is that you play the same team a bunch of times in a row, the best out of seven games. That is when they would lose. And so, you know, some people say, oh, like Wilt's not good under pressure and we can't just rely on him. But to be fair, no other team is just relying on one player. Right. So this is Wilt. Wilt is incredible. He scored over 100 points in a game. No basketball player has ever done that ever again. Like, and that was 1962. That's so long right. ago at this point. And like you were saying, it's so hard to understand how his team could ever lose when he is this phenomenal player. And people start commenting on this and saying it. And he sort of gets named a loser right around this time. In fact, just a few months after that 100-point game, Wilt meets a little kid the boy who will become his future rival, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. More about Kareem when we come back. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. So it's 1962, just a few months after Wilt's 100-point game. 
Wilt is at this charity tournament in New York City, which is raising athletic scholarship funds for underprivileged Harlem youth. And he meets this 14-year-old kid, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So Kareem writes about this encounter later on in one of his autobiographies, and so I'll read from that. Wilt saw us coming. How could he not notice a bony 6'10", 14-year-old kid shuffling toward him in a daze? As we got closer, I realized that even though we shared a similar height, he was about twice the size of me in body mass. His arms and his legs were thick with muscles. He was 25 and in peak condition. I felt tiny next to him, and that's not a feeling I was used to. So Kareem introduces himself to Wilt, and Wilt says, Oh, I've heard of you because Kareem is the new uh, high school prodigy that everybody is talking about, right? Kareem, he grows up in New York City and he is being compared to Wilt already because of the height and because of his athletic prowess. He loves the comparison because Wilt is his hero, right? He's following Wilt's career and he's like, oh my God, this guy's incredible. So he's getting to meet his hero in this moment. He says, Wilt had heard of me. I couldn't believe it. I rummaged through my mind for something clever to say, but all I could come up with was, I really admire the way you play the game. Oh, right? Isn't that cute? <laughs> Awkward. Awkward 14 but adorable. Old. Yeah. As we shook hands, he eyed me up and down. He nodded approvingly. You've got good legs. Mm. Yeah, right? <laughs> I looked down at my legs and tried to see what he saw, but they just looked like broom handle legs. Nothing special. I wish I had legs like that, he said. I thought that was so weird. This is their very first interaction. Yeah, but I think sports people are probably very like that. I think they probably do like sort of I, if I had maybe your your lean prowess, Mm -hmm. I could jump higher. I could do something more. Like I think they admire those things in one another because every little bit I think makes a different long fingers. And, you know, I think it probably does. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, so these two, they met here at this charity basketball tournament that was happening, but they would run into each other a couple more times that summer. And sort of this friendship started. They eventually played like horse against each other. And Kareem was like... Wilt is on, like, first-name basis with me. We're, like, friends. But their friendship would not solidify until two years later in the summer of 1964. Kareem is 16 years old, and Wilt is, like, 27. And Wilt really takes Kareem under his wing during this summer. So here we are, 1964, Duwa Diddy's on the radio, Chapel of Love's on the radio. Kareem's this little baby high schooler, and Wilt is this grown man. And he's like, you know what? You are me, except 10 years earlier. You're going to have the same trajectory as me become this huge basketball star, I can already tell. So come on down, come hang out with me. Come to my club that I own. Wilt owns this club called Big Wilt's Smalls Paradise, a Harlem nightclub. And he's bringing a a teenager. He's bringing a teenager there, yes. Okay. Which is a little suspect, but uh, Delta, if you had a nightclub, what would it be called? I think Lady Named Fred. Hmm. Kind of like the lady in red. (gasps) Lady Mm. named Fred. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Kareem is loving this. I mean, obviously, Mm -hmm. right? What teenager who is being asked out to a club by his idol, like, how happy is he going to be? Sure. He said, I couldn't believe it. I was sitting in one of the hippest joints in Harlem, sipping a signature drink with Wilt Chamberlain. Life had certainly taken a turn for the better. So the rest of that summer, Wilt is just doing all kinds of stuff with Cream like this, taking him under his wing. He took him to fancy restaurants, being like, this is what you're going to expect when you're a famous basketball player. He lent him a bunch of jazz albums because Wilt had, like, this really great jazz collection. And then he even 
even gave Kareem some of his old suits. Kareem has talked about these suits as 100% silk suits that were 100% covered in sweat. <laughs> and that Wilton Dang. never had them cleaned. <laughs> And so young Kareem comes home with these disgusting suits that are like beautiful, high quality, but just really stinky. And his mom, his mom makes him throw them away. (laughs) No, they couldn't be taken to the cleaners. That's what he said. He said they were not possible (laughs) to clean. Wow. It was a bummer. Anyway, I can't imagine this. I can't imagine, like, my hero taking me under their, their wing and, like, you know, giving me stuff. If you were in high school, who would, uh, what hero would you want to take you under their wing? Mm, well, I think uh, at that time it would have probably been Gillian Anderson from The X-Files. Ooh, I mm, love she that. Was my fa- she's still my favorite. Oh, she's yeah. incredible. And I remember thinking at that time, like... You're a chick who is a doctor and an FBI agent at the same time. Yes. Like you're 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 a medical doctor. Like this example yes. is like sickening. So cool. And you know what? Yeah. Her suits not soaked in sweat. I am sure. Not soaked in sweat. Very clean. Although very <laughs> of the time, especially her footwear was very like those like wedged sort of like <laughs> block high heels. Yeah. Perfect for yeah. you. You perfect time perfect. to, to yeah, wear flat. I could rock those all day long. <laughs> I love that. I got my balance. <laughs> So anyway, this is this crazy summer. I like to call it Big Brother, Little Brother summer of 64, where these guys hang out. There are some cracks that start to form in Kareem's understanding of Wilt, though. One time, Kareem and Wilt are in this elevator, and another man comes onto the elevator and sees them and says, Oh my God, how is the weather up there? Right? Which both of them have heard 3,000 times in their lives. And Wilt spits on the guy and says, It's raining. Ew. Yeah. And how old is Kareem at this time? Kareem is like 16, 17, yeah. Oh, and so he's seeing this example yep. and already with the sweatsuits, mm-hmm. uh, the, the silk suits that are sweatsuits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the spitting, he's probably realizing, you know, when you meet your idol mm-hmm. or somebody that's really important to you, you realize that they are... Not always what you think. Exactly. So that same summer, Kareem, off on his own, not with Wilt, has this very informative to his personality and the rest of his life moment. One night he is on the way home from the library and he stops off in Harlem where he socialized with friends. He's still a high schooler at this time. So he comes up the stairs from the subway and he sees what he describes as a whirlpool of violence. He says it was chaos, wild, insane. It was like a war movie. And what was happening was many of the black citizens of Harlem were out in the street protesting a shooting of an unarmed 15-year-old kid who had been shot by the police. His name was James Powell. And the police were responding with violence against the protesters. Kareem said that he feared for his life being there. He worried that his height might make him a target for the police, just in addition to being a black man amongst this moment of police violence. And this moment really changed his life. He became very dedicated to civil rights and racial justice after this. He says, when you see people being murdered and beaten, it makes you angry. It makes you want to affect change. And so it's this really powerful moment for him. And yeah, Kareem sort of dedicates his life to racial justice after that. Wow. 
Okay, so 1965, Kareem makes his UCLA debut. He, just like Wilt, is so good that people start outlawing different things. The NCAA, the college organization that runs basketball, bans dunking because of Kareem. Wow. So this is happening now for this next generation. Exactly. Exactly. Through his mentee? Yeah, yeah, his mentee. Yeah. Okay. So it's wild, like how similar of a thing is happening mm-hmm. to to Kareem that was that's happening to Wilt because they are both so good, it's so talented at basketball that they have to change the rules. At this point, these two are not like feuding yet, right? They're still minty mentor. There's some cracks in the relationship. But which player are you rooting for at this moment, or do you have one that you're more inclined towards? For me, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, mm-hmm. just because I do sort of know what it's like to meet somebody that, you're, that you admire so very much yeah. and realize that there's a, there's a tension mm-hmm. that starts w- when you realize that you're, you're in a similar realm and you're being seen by similar people yep. and you think that you're going to walk in their light and they don't want to share that light. And it's scary and yeah. it's sad and it's humbling and it's frightening yeah and those examples like yeah you know joking about the suit or whatever Mm -hmm. but the spitting thing it's like when someone says to you like even in the most difficult position this is their knee-jerk reaction is to be disgusting to someone spit he doesn't want to do that it's so degrading it is degrading so now we're going to get into where the sort of cracks become more cavernous between these two guys In 1968, Kareem boycotts the Summer Olympics. He does this along with a few other famous athletes such as Muhammad Ali. And, you know, Kareem's not like super famous yet. He's a college basketball star at this point. He boycotts the Olympics due to the unequal treatment of African-Americans in the U.S., saying that he's trying to point out to the world the futility of winning the gold medal for this country and then coming back to live under oppression. It was a very strong statement at the time. Sure. Something that, you know, a lot of white people did not like. Imagine 50 years later, like literally 50 years later, still the same thing going on. Still the exact same thing going on. Exact same thing. Yep. So that same year, 1968, Wilt endorses Richard Nixon. Mm. Nixon's a Republican. (laughs) Nixon opposes busing, which was the main form of integration of public schools. And Nixon implemented the war on drugs, which heavily targeted uh, black communities. So Wilt is kind of on the opposite political end of the spectrum here. And why does Wilt endorse Richard Nixon? Well, Wilt says throughout his political career, Nixon had been called a loser, the guy who could never win the big one. Me too. Oh, okay. So he really likes Nixon because he sees himself in Nixon. Mm, But Nixon doesn't see himself in him. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure. No. He was happy to use him, though. He was happy to to have Wilt reach out to the black community and try to, to get those voters. Around the same time, Wilt denounces the Black Panthers, and this stance got Wilt a lot of hate. In one of Wilt's autobiographies, he said, A lot of my friends, people like Harry Belafonte, and then he lists some other people, they really jumped on me for quote-unquote letting your race down. So Wilt is, is in this place of really not taking on the civil rights cause and being criticized for that. Kareem, on the other hand, heavily influenced by Malcolm X, and at 24 years old, converts to Islam and legally changes his name to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, which means noble one, servant of the Almighty. 
So previous to this moment in the story, his name was Louis Alcindor, which I didn't use just because I didn't want to confuse things. But yeah, everybody sure. knew him as Lou prior to this, which when you think about that young 14-year-old who is so awkward being called Lou, I think it's pretty cute. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Anyway, Kareem gets his new name. He gets his new religion. You know, he's really embracing civil rights at this time. So they are on opposite sides of things. And because of all their differences, there was tension between the two. But they wouldn't like publicly fight or publicly oppose each other until Kareem goes to the NBA. So after the break, the rivalry heats up with Kareem on Wilt's turf. And uh, Wilt's not too happy about it. Kareem enters the NBA. He gets on the team called the Milwaukee Bucks. He's the first pick in the draft. Everybody wanted him. What year is this? 1968. Oh, my gosh. We're still... Yeah, okay. All right. So... Here we are, 1968. Kareem is going up to the NBA. He gets he gets drafted by the Milwaukee Bucks, and they face each other finally, Kareem and Wilt on the court. They have a couple of games that go by really uninterestingly. Nothing really happens between mm-hmm. Wilt and Kareem until a few games after they first play against each other. There is some conflict on the court, and Wilt gets a little spicy with Kareem. And I want to say this story is according to Kareem. So we don't have this story told by Wilt. But in one of Kareem's books, he says, Our arms got tangled up. Wilt jerked free and threw a half-hearted punch, which didn't connect. I don't think he intended to hit me, but his anger in the moment brought out his latent hostility toward me. The refs didn't Mm. see it. I wasn't mad at him. We just continued to play as if nothing happened. But throwing a punch on the... No, that is like... Mm-mm. I feel like that would almost be heartbreaking. Yes. If your your idol threw a punch at you? What? So, you know, they go up against each other in the playoffs. They were in game six of the series, which is, I've been told, a big deal to get to game six. <laughs> Life magazine named this the greatest matchup in all of sports. So it's this big deal. And this intense game where these two superstars are going to go head to head. Even though Wilt was about a decade older than Cream, the two were very evenly matched at this point. And, you know, they are going shot for shot out on the court. Near the end of the fourth quarter, so near the end of the game, Wilt's team trailed by 10 points, the Lakers. He went crazy, and he scored 24 more points in that last bit of the fourth quarter. And the final score was 106 to 100, with Wilt's and the Lakers taking their revenge on Kareem. Isn't that weird to just be like, you know what? I'm just going to go over here and score 40 points real quick. I I wasn't going to do it, but... I kind of was just going to score 15 and just skate, but yeah, I'm mad. I think I'm just going to go here and like go crazy. Just, I don't care what the dress the team wants to do. I'm going to just take these <laughs> just so I can prove a point. Right. And I think th- when they played against each other, when Wilton Green played against each other, the tension was so extreme that they really pulled out the best of each other. Like they made each other play harder because they both wanted to beat each other so bad, right? And Time Magazine said that Wilt decisively outplayed basketball's newest giant superstar, meaning Kareem. So after this matchup, Wilt and his team, they went on to win the entire championship. Um, this is the only the second time that Wilt's team had ever won the championship. And for context, people who are like as good as him, like throughout the history of basketball, have earned like five 
to like almost 11 rings. Two wow. rings is very small for someone of his talent. But anyway, this was his second and last ring that he won. The next year, Wilt retires at age 38. So Wilt and Kareem had only spent four years competing against each other. But in those four years, they had played each other a number of times. They had played each other 27 times. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah. So out of that 27 times, how many times do you think Kareem won? And how many times do you think Wilt won? I'm going to say Kareem probably won closer to like three quarters of the time. Okay. I like that guess. Well, Kareem actually won 13 times and Wilt and his team won 14 times. Oh. Isn't that crazy? They were like so evenly matched. Neck and neck. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think that. Mm -hmm. I didn't think that. Yeah. But, you know, Wilt comes out on top just barely <laughs> by one game. When Wilt's retired, uh, he had scored a shit ton of points. <laughs> he had scored 31,419 points during his professional wow. basketball career. And this was the highest point total of any player's career. When Wilt retires, his team, the L.A. Lakers, they say, Hey, Kareem, would you like to join our team? <laughs> so Kareem is... Hired by the Lakers to basically replace Wilt. And sure. I think if you're Wilt, that would be so, that would make me really angry. And this is when Wilt starts taking a lot of pot shots at Kareem in the press because people want to know what mm-hmm. Wilt thinks of Kareem. Well, I mean, I guess you can also look at it like, uh, you know, the only reason you have a job is because I didn't want mine anymore. Yes, absolutely. Just know that you only got that because I vacated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if I was still there, you'd still be on the other team, which, I mean, listen, I don't know if it was at that time, but the only thing I know about the Lakers more than any other team is that they had Paula Abdul (laughs) as a cheerleader, and she's my favorite. That's so so true. Yes. Yeah. So, of course, she wanted to be on the Lakers. Come on. She's the (laughs) Laker girl. Right? Okay, so you can see some of these, like, pot shots that Wilt starts to take at Kareem in his first autobiography, which is called Wilt, Just Like Any Other Seven-Foot Black Millionaire Who Lives Next Door. Oh. (laughs) Which is such a long title. I actually like that. Oh, you like it? I'm into it. Anyway, so in talking about how people criticize him, um, he writes about Kareem, Wilt does. He says, I guess the the person whose antipathy hurts me the most is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. When he got into UCLA and then he turned pro and he got so heavily into the black pride slash black power thing, he started to snub me. He seems to think that because I haven't changed my name and I still have a lot of white friends that I've abandoned the black man. So he is just publicly shit talking now. (laughs) Yeah. Which, you know, could get under Kareem's skin. But what really got under Kareem's skin when Wilt published this book was what Wilt had to say about black women. Mm. So Wilt says in his book, this is a quote. I would imagine that compatibility is another reason I tend to date more white girls than black girls. Just as the prejudicial nature of white society has created conditions in which I am more likely to meet white girls than black girls, so those same prejudices have created conditions in which I am more likely to share common interests and aptitudes with white girls than black girls. For a black man, I have been very fortunate. And he goes on to, yeah. Later he says black women have more sexual hangups than white women. Oh, okay. He's done a study. (laughs) It's just very yuck. Very. None of that is necessary to say. I mean, none of it. It's being said just again. And I feel like that's how he sort of carried himself all along Mm -hmm. is this like 
sort of haughty, I don't do what you do. And that's the thing with aligning himself with Richard Nixon. Yes. I want to be very careful about the way I word something, but it's just this sort of show of like, I'm not like the regular ones that you think. Mm -hmm. I'm more like you. Mm. Ew. It's very ew. And Kareem thought so as well. And so uh, Kareem writes in his book, Wilt was a powerful black man, a symbol to a generation. I had looked up to him myself and a symbol to an entire race. There was no way he should have denigrated his people, particularly in front of a white public guaranteed to seize upon this racist assertion as another means to divide and control us. Wilt, the lover, had gone too far. I stopped seeing him as a political crossover and began thinking of him as a traitor. Wow. Yeah. I, it's, it's powerful what he's saying, yeah. but it's also painful. Yeah. It's what he sees in, from his mentor. It's cruelty. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This puts these two in like clear opposition and publicly, right? Like it's no longer a sure. secret that they are upset with each other. And, you know, even though Wilt's no longer playing basketball, who would think maybe their rivalry would calm down, right? Because they don't have to rival right. over the actual game. But they are still rivaling. We're going to fast forward a little bit in time, though, because the next moment that their rivalry sort of comes into uh, focus again is in 1983, 10 years after Wilt had put out that first book, Kareem puts out a book. He talks a lot about Wilt in it. He first talks about Wilt taking him under his wing, uh, showing him what success could look like, all those stories we had earlier. And he writes, you know, a lot about Wilt's basketball skill and how he looked up to him and how good he is. But he finally addresses Wilt's politics. He says, Wilt and I have had our falling outs. However, I started to lose my reverence for him when he supported Richard Nixon for president in 1968. Harlem was in an uproar. Black people were struggling for basic human rights and Wilt was throwing his weight behind an obvious crook who had no regard for us. I became very suspicious of him. He was a high-profile, jet-set, trickle-down Republican, and I was a private, community-oriented, share-the-wealth Muslim. That, you know, really encapsulates the break between the two. Right. The next thing that happens is a basketball thing, not just a we're writing books, we're talking about each other thing. In 1984, Kareem breaks a record of Wilts, one of his very dear-to-him records that he had worked so hard on creating. Now, it wasn't that 100-point game. It was... The all-time scoring record, that big number I read earlier, the 31,329 points. Kareem, in his 15th year in the NBA, plays a game where he scores his 31,420th point. (laughs) And so how much difference is that from the other? One. He scores one just more point. one point. <laughs> yeah. How yeah. could it be? How could it break down to that? Well, like, well, I'm just saying this is the game in which he scores that one more point. It's throughout his whole because it's a career total, right? So he's at this game and everybody's counting it down. They're like, oh, he's about to break Wilt's record, even though Kareem is still playing basketball. After. Right. So he will score more points. Wilt retired at 38. Yes. Yeah, he had played it for 14 years, and then Kareem retired much later. Kareem, okay. the, when he beats. Wilt's scoring, he's in his 15th year of basketball. So it took him a whole extra year. And you know what's important about this is... That Kareem didn't act like a jerk. He didn't say, booyah, I beat your score, <laughs> anything like that. He said that it was a burden off his shoulders. Wilt was supposed to be there to watch Kareem beat his score. He didn't show up. No. Very Wilt. I think, honestly, seeing that example of Wilt as a, as a younger person... Informative years like made him realize like I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a. Uh, I don't want to be regarded as that type of man. Oh. 
It's interesting how those examples really, well, they can go two ways in your brain. Either I'm going to be like that or I'm not going to be like that. Absolutely. It's not like I'm going to be like that sometimes. It's either one or the other, I feel like. I will say Wilt did comment in the press about Kareem breaking his record. And he said he broke one record, the total of number of points scored. Believe me, I've got plenty of other records that neither Kareem nor anybody can touch. Mm, Which are those? Salty about it. Well, that hundred point game still stands to this day. To be fair, Mm, I thought maybe he was talking about the ladies. Oh well, so let's get to that. Let's get to the ladies. Okay, Kareem retires at forty two years old in nineteen eighty nine. Yeah, yeah, and so he writes another book. He has a total of three books. I think this is his second autobiography, and it's called Kareem. Um, His first book was called Giant Steps. Not as fun with the titles as Wilt is, but, you know. Right. So in Kareem, he has an entire section titled An Open Letter to Wilt Chumperlame. Oh, come on. (laughs) Come on. This is the petty letter. This is the one we were waiting on. Petty officer reporting for duty. Absolutely. I will say, I think that Kareem like held back a lot of the pettiness and drama yeah. of the things he wanted to say until he was done with the NBA. So now that he's retired, he's like, I'm going to let loose. Yeah, this is the booyah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I have edited the letter down. It would seem that someone who achieved as much as you did would be satisfied with his career. After all, some of the things you did in your time were quite admirable and have given us an enduring set of records for the books. So why all the jealousy and envy? In trying to figure this out, I started to look for what you would be jealous of. And that's when the picture started to become clear. After any tough test in which you did not do well, you blamed those around you and you quit. All you could say was that your teammates stunk and that you had done all you could and besides the refs never gave you a break. Poor Wilt. You will be remembered as a whiny crybaby and a quitter. Stats and all. Booyah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I do think everybody has that little bit of like, I want to get the last word in. Yeah. Writing it in a in a book cements that. Truly, truly. But we have two more words, I would say, <laughs> that happen okay. after this. <laughs> because the very next year, Wilt puts out his second autobiography. Of course. This book is called A View From Above. And he says, Kareem, I haven't read your letter to me yet, but I hope it helped you to sell a lot of books, as I'm sure that's why it was in there. But why, if you were going to use me to make money, didn't you at least send me a free copy? I mean, all of that is very real as well. I, I, I do think that petty, like, yeah. I'm, I'm going to say it and you're not going to be able to get a last word in. But then the other person being like, no, oh, I'll get my last word in, but I also will have to publish a book. I also think he definitely read it. Oh, of course he read it. <laughs> of course he read it. He can't be of like, course he read it. I didn't read it, but I know it's And mean. he was reading it. Yeah, and he was reading it to people like, hey, what about what he said right here? Yeah. What about this part? What about this? He does an interview uh-huh. where you he talks You were there. About you know. It. Yeah. He, yeah. He has, he's worried about me. He goes on TV and he's like, I'm not a quitter. Yeah. That is not the part of Wilt's book that people care about, though. People care about this one thing that he wrote, and it is forever cemented in everyone's mind. Here is what Wilt wrote. If I had to count my sexual encounters, I would be closing in on 20,000 women. Wow. (laughs) Yes, that's correct. 
20,000 different ladies. At my age, that equals out to having sex with 1.2 women a day, every day, since I was 15 years old. Ew. Uh, <laughs> this is the flex? Like, why was this in the story? Why was this in the book? Great question. Great question. Why the hell is this in the book? So who said that they were worried about whether or not you were having enough sex? Well, that's a good question. Let me say, he goes on to clarify, I give the numbers here not to impress. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 not me. (laughs) (laughs) I would never. I give them because it's like when I played basketball. Many of my numbers were so unbelievably high that most people dismissed them as fables. Ah, so this is just clarification. This is just him saying, not only do I make records on the the basketball court, I make records in the bedroom. Get out of here with that. Here's another quote from his book. Another rumor arising from my prolonged bachelorhood is that I'm gay. I even had girls ask me about that in bed immediately after I've demonstrated that whatever else I am, I am most indisputably heterosexual. Isn't that weird that that matters to people? Like why somebody isn't comfortable just going, "Uh, no, no, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not gay. I would also like to point out that it's not the flex you think it is to say that I just had sex with a girl and she then asked me if I was gay. It's not. (laughs) Absolutely not. Right? Right? So anyway, I think that part of him bragging about this is because people are saying he's gay. I think that's part of it, like along with his obsession with records, right? That is a part of it. So this blows up, not the gay thing, but the 20,000 women, because that's such Mm. an insane number. Everybody everywhere is talking about Wilt's number. It's all over the press. And people are not saying, hell yeah. People are making fun of him. People are saying it's impossible to have that high of a number. They're all doing Uh the math. (laughs) They're saying, no, thank you. Yeah. And at the same time, like a week later, Magic Johnson, another famous basketball player, comes out and publicly says that he is HIV positive. Mm -hmm. And these two things should not have affected each other, but they did. And the press and people lumped together Magic and Wilt as symbols of the promiscuity of basketball players and were very judgmental of them. I'm sure race had a component here as well. Mm -hmm. And so Wilt sort of goes down in history as this guy who brags about sex. Kareem comes out and says that it's sad that this is how Wilt is going to be remembered because he has so many basketball accomplishments. But like this is the thing that overtook pop culture. A few years later, Wilt puts out his third book. It's called Who's Running the Asylum Inside the Insane World of Sports Today? What he does say is that he apologizes for saying the 20,000 number. He says, I especially apologize if I have offended even slightly any of the women I now know or those who I have known. Though many among you were in appearance a number, quote unquote, none of you were ever just a number to me. To all the girls I've loved before. (laughs) So that book comes out in 1997. Wilt dies in 1999 at 63 of congestive heart failure. Relatively young. Yeah. You know, Kareem eulogized him saying that Wilt was one of the greatest ever and we will never see another like him. Kareem is truly sad that, you know, he lost his mentor and one time friend, even though they had their ups and downs throughout their relationship. Kareem has gone on to be a sports commentator and like you can find him right now on ESPN. Probably Mm -hmm. (laughs) he's all over it. I think we 
have a pretty clear winner here, but I wonder yeah. to ask you, Delta, who wins here? Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah. I mean, yeah. for me, I get it. I mean, I get that Wilt was like the mentor. So you always want to think like, well, he was sort of paving his own way. There was nobody who did what he did in, at that time. So yeah. tons of missteps are going to be made. He was just kind of smarmy and gross yeah. the whole time. I mean, and Kareem is, you know, in my book, very elegant. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even talking about like a, like the, the sports because those those numbers Make no sense to me because I don't even know how I, I don't know how you can make 25 points in under 10 minutes. But based on documentation, yeah. how he's treated people yeah, and, and how people have felt by him. Yeah. And uh, also, you know, when somebody passes and you've had that tumultuous of a relationship with them, but you still are able to elevate just the good parts. Yeah. Instead of saying, these are all the good things, but don't forget that also this, like you can, when you're able to leave out the but of it, says a lot. Absolutely. I am reminded of other rivals we have covered who in the death of the rival have been very happy and said very rude things. And Kareem was classy about it. That's our winner, I think. Yes, I agree. From something else in Sony Music Entertainment, this is Fierce Rivalries, hosted by me, Delta Work. And me, Kelsey Paget. I also produce the show. Gabriella Santana is our associate producer. Caitlin Pierce is our editor. Our production coordinators are Sasonia Davenport and Tamika Balance-Kalasny. Our theme music is by Allison Layton Brown. John Scott is our engineer. Our executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs, Tom Koenig, and Caitlin Pierce. TJ Raphael was our development producer. 